Hebrews uh, this morning. Uh, so let me ask you, are you enjoying the Hebrew study? Okay. I just want to make sure. Uh, next to the Gospels, Hebrews may be my very, most very favorite book in the whole Bible, so you have to bear with me. Uh, but we will be picking up in chapter 4 this morning where we left off last time, uh, beginning with chap- uh, uh, verse 14 in chapter 4 and continuing on into chapter 5, verse 10. But just kind of a recap of what we studied up to this point. Uh, just remember that this, this book is an apologetic. The whole book is an apologetic, an argument set forth by the author, the author, uh, the argument that Christ, Jesus, is in fact the Christ, God's Christ, the one and only Savior. Remember, he's writing to a predominantly Jewish congregation. Uh, so a lot of the things that he says applies most directly to them, but there are other things that apply to all of us in general. But in chapter 1, he argued for the supremacy of Christ. That Christ stands above. And the reason why he stands above is because he's not merely a man. He is also God. He's divine. In chapter 2, he argued that Jesus is greater, far greater than the angels are. Chapter 3, he argued that Christ, uh, Jesus, is greater than Moses. Remember, he's writing to that Jewish congregation that has a very, very high regard for Moses. In chapter 4, he's already spoken about the benefits of resting in Christ and also has issued a warning to those who don't do that. Today, what we are going to be looking at in this particular text, what he's doing, and he's arguing for the greatness of of the priesthood of Christ, the superior priesthood of Christ, the ultimate priesthood of Christ. So beginning with verse 14 in chapter 4, we will begin. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he says, also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, uh, of his flesh Jesus offered up 
prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was hurt because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Again, the emphasis here is on the priesthood of Christ. The argument here is this, is that he's not only a priest, that he is a far better priest, a far greater priest. In fact, he is the absolute perfect priest who intercedes for his people in the heavenly throne room, our heavenly advocate. As we are sitting here this morning, Jesus is in the throne room of God representing you and me and everyone else who has placed their faith and hope and trust in him. Constantly interceding on our behalf before the Father. You see, we not only have a high priest, we have a great high priest. We have a greater high priest. We have the greatest high priest. We have the perfect high priest. He is the quintessential high priest. He's the absolute fulfillment of every aspect of what being a priest is and what God intended for it to be. He is all of these things because he is not only the son of man, he is the son of God. Therefore, being a high priest does not make Jesus great. Jesus excels because he is divine. The difference, therefore, between Aaron and all the other priests in the Bible and Jesus is immeasurable. There is no comparison between the two or the others at all. He is the quintessential priest the true high priest, the one and only priest in the heavenly places. But as great as Jesus is, because he is God, he is also man, and because he's man, that provides an avenue for people like you and I to relate to him in a mechanism and a method that we would not be able to do without that. He understands you and I absolutely and completely from a godly viewpoint, but also from a human viewpoint. 
So we don't have a high priest who's so far removed from us that he cannot sympathize with where we are because he's been where we are. But the difference between him and you and I is this, is then even though he was tempted as we are, he did not sin. Without sin, completely, entirely. In his human nature, Jesus was every much as we are tempted by sin to sin. And yet, he resisted it and refused it. If Jesus ever sinned one time, you and I do not have a Savior. Just once. Our Savior is gone. Jesus is unique in the fact that he is both divine and human at the very same time. And he will be for the rest of eternity. There was a time when he wasn't human, but he does have that human nature now, and he will be that way forevermore. Because he is the person that he is, he is the perfect. Because he is divine and human at the same time, he is the perfect intercessor between holy God and unholy man. There's no way to improve on him at all. He's absolutely perfect in every aspect. No one else can do what he does. No one else can accomplish what he has accomplished and will accomplish. See, all of the priests in the Bible were imperfect. They were all sinners. They all had sin in their own life that they had to deal with, just like every one of us does. Jesus, on the other hand, was and is Absolutely pure. They became a man for a lot of reasons. And one of those, which is emphasized here, is this, is that by doing that, he can actually really, truly sympathize with us. In other words, he really knows what it's like to be tempted to sin. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like. Probably in ways that you and I don't even know. He wasn't just some distant observer making judgments about things he knows nothing about. He experienced the same kind of temptations that you and I are exposed to continually and constantly and more, more than likely very much intensified because of the person he was. 
In other words, what I would say to you is this, is that Jesus was subjected to temptation to a degree that none of us ever will be. And yet he resisted it. It's because of Jesus and who he is and what he's done that you and I can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's our confidence in him and what he has done and what he continues to do that enables us to live as the people of God. It is he that has made us acceptable to God. Not only accept, just acceptable to God, but welcomed by God, desired by God to have fellowship with him. He wanted you. You may look at yourself and say, well, I don't know why anyone would want much to do with me or, you know, something along those lines. Maybe people will look down their nose kind of at you your whole lifetime or this, that, and the other. But what I'm telling you is he, Jesus wanted you enough to do all that he did to have you. You are not only welcome here, you are very much wanted here believe it or not or maybe you think God has gotten a really good deal when it comes to you Jesus continues as we speak to be our defense attorney in God's courtroom he's our defense he's our defender And it's because of that and an understanding of that, a knowledge of that, that we can hold fast to our confession, as we're encouraged to do here. I tell you, the thing that we need to learn more and more and more, every one of us is an utter and absolute humble reliance on Jesus Christ for everything. Not just a few things in this category and a few in that category. I'm talking about every aspect of our life, every aspect of our being. Everything about us. It's because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, that we can hold fast our confession as we're encouraged to do here. Notice here that the offer doesn't say that you guys need to do this or this is what you need to do. He includes himself in this. He's in the boat with the rest of us.
there are sometimes some advantages in understanding a little bit of grief because you can find some nuances very often that you don't necessarily come through in the translations. Hold fast our confession. Might be better stated is take hold of it. Lay, lay seize of it. Grip it. Grab it. Take possession of it. In modern lingo, maybe we could say, own it. As something most dear to you that you will never let go of. The most precious possession that you have is your relationship with Jesus Christ above everything else. Yes, because we know these things are true, that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Knowing that we're owned by God, knowing that we're welcomed by God, knowing that we are his very precious possession. Knowing that he bought us with the blood of the Son of Man. In the Old Testament, men in the line of Levi were called to be priests, and all Levites weren't priests. Only some of the Levites were priests. Only through a couple of family lines. But you had to be a Levite to be a priest. No exceptions. That said, so we understand that. The Levitical priests came from just one family line in the Old Testament. But with that said, we must also bear in mind that the Lord has also said to all Israel things like this. You shall be to me, what? A kingdom of priests. In other words, there's a sense in which the title priest applies to some of them more strongly than others, but there's a sense in which the title of priest applies to every one of them. That being a child of God were many things, but one of those is this, is we are priests of God. All of us. We are that kingdom of priests. That holy nation. The church of Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of that promise. But we understand this, that it was also a special group of the Levites who were called to serve in this office of Old Testament priests. Set apart from the rest of the tribes for a special purpose.
to serve the Lord in a capacity that the others didn't. So how is it that you and I perform priestly functions? What are some priestly things that we actually do? What priests did is they interceded. They stood between God and man. There's a sense in which we do the same thing. That's how it is that the church is a nation of priests. Through our acts of intercession and other things, but intercession maybe most particularly. We talk about intercessory prayer. In other words, when we pray for the salvation of other people, we are interceding on their behalf before God's throne. That is a priestly, a New Testament priestly function. I hope that you do this. I hope that you have a list of people that are unbelievers that you know or you know of, or even, even if you don't know them very well, maybe you know them remotely. But that you're actively praying for their salvation, and you're actively trying to witness to them when you have an opportunity to do that. You understand that when we do those things, we are performing priestly functions. And that is how we and why we're called to the priesthood. And we know this, that by the time that Jesus came into the picture, that the Levitical priesthood was very much corrupted, and the vast majority of, of those priests did what they did because it gave really particular advantages to them and to their families. Their priesthood was corrupt. Men, for the most part, certainly there are exceptions to it, but men, for the most part, who were using their position to advance themselves. And that's very clear in the Gospels when you see the conversations that Jesus had with priests and with other religious leaders. It's obvious from the Gospels that by the time that Jesus came into the picture, that the priesthood was very much corrupted. John the Baptist, when he saw the priests coming, what did he say? He called them a brood of vipers. Not, a term, not terms of endearment, I don't imagine, in those days. Jesus said about them, you know neither the scriptures or the power of God.
Just remember from the trial of Jesus before Caiaphas and the other priests. That Caiaphas said to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And what did Jesus say? Yes. You have said so. The reason finally given by the high priest that Jesus deserved to die. There were, however, exceptions even among the Pharisees. There were men who truly knew God, who truly loved the Lord, who accepted Christ. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were a couple of them. Maybe there were more. We don't know. Now we get well into the book of Acts, all the way into chapter 6 in Acts, before we see any real conversions taking place amongst the Jewish priesthood. Matter of fact, in in that particular passage, it mentions that many of the priests were coming to faith. Many of the priests became obedient to the faith as it's stated. We have a priest, and our priest is the ultimate priest, the ultimate high priest, the perfect priest. The Levitical priesthood was lacking. Why? Because the Levitical priests were sinners, just like everyone else. They were in need of a Savior just as much as everyone else. They offered sacrifices for their own sins, but those, those sacrifices ultimately really did not atone for their sin. The Levitical priest became priest as a birthright by genealogy. That's the only thing that made you a Levitical priest or not, whether you were a descendant of a, a couple of families in the tribe of Levi or not. Peter will write, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For what reason? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So how are we doing 
as far as our responsibilities of the priesthood. I hope and I pray that every person in this room spends a significant amount of time in prayer. It's funny, you, you know, if you've ever heard God speak to you, I really would like to hear about it. If you ever hear God whispering something in your ear when you're praying or whatever, I would just love to hear about it. Please don't let something like that happen and me not know about it. But I can tell you it's never happened to me. But there is something that has happened to me. That there are times when you are in deep prayer when you will experience the, the presence of God in a way that you will not at any other time in this life experience that. When you know without a doubt that you are in the holy presence of holy God and you are wanted there, you are welcomed there. We continue to serve a priestly function, and that function is intercession. Principally and primarily through prayer. Let me just say this. You can evangelize from now to the cows come home. And I would be shocked if you saw any fruit from it, if you were doing it without praying. Let me tell you, any time I share the gospel with an unbeliever, before I even say much of anything, I say a little prayer, and that is, Lord, tell me what to say. Show me what to say. See, the neat thing about it is this, is we never, you nor I ever know what God is going to do with anything that we do. Intercession was costly for Jesus. There's a sense in which intercession can be costly for us, too. You might lose a friend or a family member over it. Because there are those out there who want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. You probably know a few people that fit into that book. But at the same time, we never know what God is going to do with what we do. And let me tell you something. God is a God that is full of surprises.
I've seen him convert people that most people would have said, there's no way on his green earth that's going to happen. There were people who would have said that about me. We never know what the Lord will do with what we do. Now let me just challenge you with this idea. This is not just a, a suggestion or, or, or maybe you can do this if you feel like it or you want to do it. It is a commandment from God that we do this. Not something we can just take lightly that goes in one ear and out the other. That as Christians, we have jobs, and one of our jobs is to be involved in intercessory prayer for unbelieving people. Again, we know that we can't do it, but we know that very often God uses what we do to accomplish His end. Prayer is a direct way of intercession, but it doesn't mean that that's the only means or the only way that we have or opportunity we have for intercession or entering into intercession. Sharing the gospel with another person is a sense intercession. Our life and lifestyle is a visible witness of what we truly believe. It is a means of intercession. Because people not only listen to what we have to say, they watch what we do. And if the two don't line up, why in the world would we ever believe, hope or think that they would trust in what we tell them? In other words, we can't be one way and speak a different way. They have to see us living what we are encouraging them to live. Our life, our lifestyle is a visible witness of what we truly believe. You can't separate the two from one another. And I know that it's a fearful thing sometimes to share the gospel with other people. I've shared the gospel with a good number of people to this point. Let me just tell you, you know, how many really super negative reactions I've gotten. One. 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 Every other person I've ever talked to about the gospel was at least kind enough to listen to me and what I had to say. And I know this. If, if you do a survey, you'll find this. The, the, the doing evangelism is the thing that scares Christians more than anything else. 
But what I'm telling you guys, it's, it's a straw man. It's not something to fear. Intercession. God's helpers. It's all we are. But he does expect us to help. All of us. And let me tell you, the picture for every one of us will be different than the picture for everyone else. That we have to, we must in fact, have a place for interceding through prayer and witness. You are where you are for a lot of reasons, and one of those is this, is because other people did that on your behalf. So what goes around must also come around. I know some of you have experienced this, but maybe some of you haven't. There is nothing more joyful that you're ever going to experience in this whole lifetime than being used by God to lead another person to Jesus Christ. There's a joy and there's a delight in that that will, will have an impact upon you like absolutely nothing else will. To be used by God in that mechanism, in that manner, is a wonderful, wonderful, unbelievably great and good thing. Don't let your fears cheat you out of one of the greatest blessings and joys you can know in this life and in this world. There are people around you who desperately need to hear what you know. Tell them. That's what a priest does. Amen. Excuse me for shaking my finger. <laughs>